Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. So, how are you all feeling? Yes, I feel that uh, not at all overtired energy. Amazing, amazing. All right, so yesterday morning, I, I talked about these two forms of radical community that God calls us into, the ecclesia and the koinonia. These Forms. One is uh, the, the called out ones, the gathered body called together for worship like we're doing this morning. And then the koinonia is more like what happened after we finished at the fire last night. And people break off into small groups and they talk about the deep things of their heart and, and share burdens with one another and share hopes and dreams. And that's what has been happening. So we looked more at the ecclesia yesterday. We're going to look more at the koinonia today. But it's all about that radically ordinary hospitality. God does not call any of you to live alone, none of you, in the sense that you are not called to journey through life alone, but with partners, with friends, with co-laborers, with co-passengers. And and we live out our identity as Christians within and through transformational life-giving community. Amen? All right. It's good. We're away. Good. So we're going to dig into the home, into the koinonia today. So let's open up to the book of Acts. What else could it be? Chapter 2, verse 42. Some of you are just going to read it by muscle memory. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Good start. To the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Let me just offer a quick time out there. You didn't have to do this. Not all the apostles did this. Some of them did it, some of them didn't. Barnabas was noted because he, he sold a field and he came and he brought the entire funds and brought it to the apostles and said, this belongs to you. Other people didn't. Other people got in trouble for claiming they'd done that, but only giving part of the proceeds. It was all about the lying. It was about the attitude of the heart, not about the, the sort of uh, virtue signaling of I'm giving a large amount of money. Verse 46. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. Every Sunday? No. Every day they met in the, in the temple and they broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Whew, this is God's word. Jeez, what a vision, Right? Like this is why sometimes we've just got to go back and read that passage on repeat. All of Acts 2, really, where the power of God comes at Pentecost and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And not only are we filled with the Holy Spirit, but everyone is, not just Jews, but Greeks. So Jews and Gentiles, people who were of all nations, tribes and tongues. It's the first picture that we see really in the New Testament of the book of Revelation, of what's to come, of the whole church gathered together. And then we see this image of the koinonia as people break bread with each other in each other's homes. Now, as a pastor, one of the things we commonly wrestle with, Jenny and I, particularly as we're not shrinking violets, um, we often wrestle with where is the bar to put in front of our people, right? To go like, what are we asking you to become? In one sense, it's, it's obvious, right? The take up your cross and follow me. That's a high bar, but it's also a long journey. But in the sense of what we call from you in, in your lives and in the way you participate in the church, there's always the question of, is it too much? Is it too little? Are we pushing too hard? Are we not pushing hard enough? And so if, if I'm being really honest, I wrestle with that a lot and I want to pull stuff back a lot. And in reality, I think God wants to ask more of you. So uh, uh, my preference is to pull back and like I'm, I'm non-confrontational by nature. Jenny, not so much. But we, 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 we go zig and zag like that. But I will confront, as you probably know. And, and in my preference, it would be to say, oh, if, if, you, if you aren't feeling it, yeah, just, just take it off, leave, withdraw. But in reality, I think what God wants from you, particularly in this aspect of the koinonia, is more actually deeper, further, press in more. But it's not about more activities, 
right? It's not about adding more to your schedule necessarily. It's about reorienting your schedule so that you live more open lives. So here's, here's what happened when we started this church. We started it, you know, um, us and Jared and then started building a team and, and, and then, you know, that was through 2017. And we, basically what we did is we just held an open house all the time. We talk about our welcome mat constantly. The welcome mat's out, it's out, all right, and then suddenly it's in. And I would do this thing, and I still do it. I did it last night where I would just be in the middle of community and I'd be like, cool, I'm going to bed. Let yourselves out when you're ready. Luckily, you're all by the fire, so you could. But I just went to bed. I was like, great, it's great. It's been a good night, but I'm going to bed. <laughs> That's okay. That's part of the hospitality. But in our home, we would just go, it's open. You guys leave whenever you're ready. And sometimes they did. <laughs> they would just stay out for a while and then just, just head off. Um, and so we get did that and we'd have interest meetings in our homes. We'd had church services in our home. 2018, we had Easter in our home. It was awesome. We had all the chairs inside, all the couches outside. And, and it was just this great moment of koinonia. And we lived that pretty authentically. I, I don't say that as a brag. I just say that that... That's a description of what happened. And this is why the gospel must always be spoken as well as lived. Because I don't think we spoke that enough into everyone's lives to say, this isn't just something we want to model. It's something we want you to catch and do. And that's not intended to be a shot at, at, at anyone. But this, this is when I knew something had gone wrong. Christmas Day 2018, our first Christmas service, wasn't very big. We do Christmas service every Christmas day. We have keep it pretty sharp so you can get to your Christmas lunch. But we want to start Christmas by honouring Jesus. That's just how we want to worship. So we start Christmas that way. And on Christmas Day 2018, we just had a worship service. There were probably 50 people in the building. It wasn't massive. And at the end of it, somebody came up to me and they said, listen, there's a new guy here, this young guy. He's got nowhere to go for Christmas lunch. Can you guys look after him? And of course we said yes. And we took him home and uh, he, he came and he had lunch with us and he, he, he wasn't a fool. Like he understood that it was, a, you know, a, a bit putting somebody out to come and have Christmas lunch with them. So we came and had Christmas lunch with our family, which is Indian, because God bless the Hindus, they still work on Christmas Day. So we will eat their delicious Indian food and convert them one at a time. And it's still going to take some time. It's still going to take some time. All right. And so I'll keep eating Indian on Christmas Day until that point. And so he came around for Christmas lunch. And that was our gift of hospitality to him, to, to have him around our table with our family. And in return, he, he took our kids out and he showed them his car. He had all this emergency services equipment and they dressed up in like high protective gear and we're holding the emergency services stuff. And that's how we met Caleb. And, and now I have the privilege of marrying him and Hayley next year, which is wonderful. But why would Jen and I, the people asked to take him for Christmas lunch? Because our default is to say, well, the pastors will do it. They have to, don't they? And yeah, I suppose we kind of do and we want to. But why were we the ones? Now, again, that is not a shot of the people who were in the room that day, many of whom were young, didn't have their own homes, were, were, were at the sufferance of other social obligations. I get it. But the vision of koinonia with Jesus is to say, when somebody comes along and they need a meal, you don't pass him along to someone else. You say, come around my table. God has a special preference and love for the poor and marginalised. Because we, everyone in this room of non-Jewish heritage, James, my apologies, wherever you are, I was looking for you just then, who, who loves to claim that 1% or whatever it is, every one of us who is of non-Jewish heritage, uh, every one of us who is of non-Jewish heritage was on the margins spiritually in the family of God and God invited us in around his table, called us his children. So this is the vision about everybody opening their homes up to one another. This is why the gospel has to be lived out in words and deeds because we spent four or five years relentlessly opening up our home like that. And it's probably tailed off a little bit in the last year, which is all right, partly because we have other homes that people open up. That's wonderful. That's the vision. And some of you, and, and some of you are in, in situations where you feel like it's harder, especially if you live at home with your parents. Or maybe you're in a situation where you feel like the hospitality you want to show is, is insufficient. Or you're, you're embarrassed. Or maybe you've just never thought of it this way. You, you've just never thought of hospitality. But the vision of Koinonia is for you to invite others around your table. And we anticipate that this will be reciprocal. We anticipate that it'll be messy. I don't want to talk too much about it. But... I'm going to give you radical individualism for one second more, just to stay on brand. 
The idea that the highest good is individual freedom is not good for community building. Obviously. Because if the highest good is my individual freedom and what I want for my Christmas lunch, then it inconveniences me to bring somebody around my table. But for the, if you're a believer in this room, that's not good enough. That's simply not good enough. We are called to be inconvenienced on behalf of the stranger. And we've even made a joke about it in Australia. A man's home is his castle. We turned it into a movie. It was very, very popular because we believe that. I want to go inside my castle. It is my sanctuary. I will shut the gate and then all men shall know that it is my land. And if you knock on the door, I might let you in, but that's up to me. And I live in Prospect, which is beautiful, but very high walls. And nowadays, it's not, even, it's not even a gate you go through. There's a buzzer you press so they can vet whether you decide they're worthy of communing you into the castle. But as Tamlin Tamita once said, we've built these homes with bigger walls rather than throwing parties with longer tables. And that's, that's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus is take down the walls and lengthen the tables. There is always room at our table. And so when God creates the family unit and he says, for this reason I've called people to leave their parents' home, he doesn't necessarily ask them to reject the old parental unit and he certainly doesn't say go into that home, make it your own, spend all your money on extensions and things that make you feel special and put a nice fence up. He's saying widen your tent pegs, lengthen your table, create a space where you can do community with other people, whatever that looks like, open the doors. So when we begin a new home, we begin a new table. It's a new picture of the kingdom around people. The last thing we talked about this, and we're going to participate in it later, that Jesus brought to his disciples with the gift of communion, the sacrament of being gathered around a table, breaking bread together. And sharing life in that way. And in so doing, we see the presence of God. Happens all the time. So what I want to do is rather than go on about this indefinitely, I want to invite some of my friends up who I think are very, very good at hospitality. So I would just love you to welcome as they come up, Lisa and Beryl and Jeremy and Tim. So... Can everyone just give a, um, a brief introduction of themselves? Tim, why don't we start with you? I'm Tim. Uh, I'm married to Ashley. Uh, yeah, she's pretty cool. Uh, we have two little ones, Judah and Olive. You would have seen them around this weekend. Uh, I, uh, I work for the United Church in youth and young ministry um, and have been doing ministry for a long time. Uh, we live in Mawson Lakes. Uh, and there's lots of high walls and buzzer gates in Mawson Lakes. <laughs> it's good. It's good. Thanks, buddy. I live in Mawson Lakes too, uh, not just with a buzzer to get in, but with double swipe cards also from that point. So, <laughs> yeah, gated apartment complex. I, uh, I work uh, for Uniting Communities, which is uh, a uh, welfare wing of the Uniting Church, and I also run two networking groups uh, of bringing people together to help them foster community. I'm Beryl. Um, I live in the Barossa Valley on 40 acres with no gate. <laughs> Plenty of room for you all. <laughs> um, I'm married to Craig, who you don't often see, but he appears occasionally in community, which is wonderful. And he considers himself part of this community, so continue to embrace him. Um, he's the father of Jared and Ashley and the father-in-law of Lisa. Um, so that's sort of our familial connection. I don't work anymore. I'm a retired lady which is just awesome used to work in school chaplaincy and um, community church work and now I've just got more time for arting and worshipping and hanging with God yeah. I'm Lisa and I'm a Deutschlehrerin um, uh, in Mawson Lakes just to <laughs> pair it up with these guys um, I like the Barossa though um, yeah and I don't know I love Jesus he's pretty great um <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. And people. They're pretty cool it's too. great. Yeah. All of them. It's great. Thanks. And you head up our hospitality ministry. Oh, yeah, I head up the hospitality <laughs> <laughs> Which is important for the, for the scope of this conversation. <laughs> so, so the reason I ask these four is, is because I see in them characteristics of Jesus in the way he invites us into radical hospitality. And uh, I think they've got a lot of stories to share. So I've prepped them a little bit and then, and then I'll pepper them with different questions to begin. Um, 
Let's go with Jez. You're pretty comfortable with the mic, so let's, let's start with you. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you live in Mawson Lakes. Can you let's, – let's just jump on a little bit from the stuff we heard about on Friday night. Mm. Your home is like a transformer. Yeah, so it's a, it's a very usable space. Yeah. Talk, talk to us about what was behind that choice because you, you don't live in a big space, as I understand it. I haven't, I haven't been allowed to come, but that's fine. <laughs> you will come. <laughs> tell, tell, tell us about... Okay, so you live in a fairly small space. Yeah, so it's... Uh, I don't know how many square metres it is, Josh, but it's, it's, uh, it's got a living area and it's got like three rooms that come off that living area and a hall and a massive bathroom and a massive balcony, which we, like, I didn't even go to the inspection. Josh went to the inspection in, uh, in June or July 20, um, 20 last year and he just showed me some pictures. I'm like, yep, this is great, you know. Uh, but I think, you know, the, the thing about that is that we, um, we were uh, chatting and... Uh, somehow we're like, you want to move in together and we decided to move in together. But we intentionally believe that God was positioning us in Mawson Lakes uh, for some strange reason. We, don't, we didn't know why, uh, but we kind of felt that because we got, um, we got basically given the place. Uh, we had, there was like Josh said, there was like 30 people or something at the inspection and, and, and I don't know how many applications went for it. But we decided just to put an application in and then we got it first up. Uh, kind of the, the guy that gave us the place was actually uh, went to school with Josh uh, as well. So there was some of that connection too. But the door just opened wide. It was basically handed to us on a platter. And uh, as Josh mentioned last night, they've just recently sold it. We're believing it's an investor and we think we should be able to continue living there, but we'll wait and see. But, you know, we know that the time that we have been given there is to open up to people uh, in terms of we've had heaps of events and dinners and all that stuff and, you know, we'd love everyone to come and we, uh, we're sorry if we haven't been able to invite everybody. We, we try to, you know, space out as much as we can. I received that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like I said, you're coming, Mike. But, uh, but also with our worship and all the stuff that, you know, the space, we can do a lot of stuff with it, yeah. So, mm. yeah, it's, it, it, it is usable space and we've just been able to put the, yeah, does have it, have the furniture sit in a way that we can always move it. Okay, okay. So it is a use, usable space, but e everything you're describing is choice. It's a usable space. Mm. There's furniture that you can move because you want to move it, because you want to create hospitality. So you run a life group there, correct? Uh, yeah, yes. Uh, well, uh, no, uh, I, I said you. Me? Yeah. No, not me. So not correct. So Josh runs a life group there. Yeah, uh, Josh is kind of. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> a life group meets in your home. It would be in Okay, okay. But Jeremy, you're a life group leader. Yes, but I don't, I don't uh, run in that apartment. Okay, so that doesn't make any sense to me. Talk, talk me through it. So I used to uh, live at what's called the Delima Ranch, which is down south with my sister. Uh, and uh, we've been having a life group in that place for a long time. But our community down south uh, and chatting with Tex, uh, constant conversations, uh, I still feel called to lead that group down there. And so I head down there every week to lead in that space while I'm living at Mawson Lakes. Mm. Did everyone catch that? <laughs> yeah. So, so now it's in Josh and Nicole's place, is that correct? That's right. Okay. We've just recently Wonderful. moved. Awesome. But, which is great. That's a new table. But talk to us a bit because when you were hosting it in the Dilema Ranch, that wasn't your house necessarily. No. And it, it also wasn't space that you just had free run of. I mean, you did because in, in the sense it's your home. But there are plenty of other people living there too. Yeah, so if, if anyone's ever been to the Delima Ranch, which isn't actually a ranch, it's just a suburban bungalow townhouse, <laughs> but we call it a ranch. I don't know why, I don't know how it actually started, but uh, my parents uh, are amazing people and they have always, uh, you know, been people who are like, Basically, anyone can live there. So we've got there's there's five bedrooms, and they're always always occupied. You know, when I stay down there, like my room's there, but there are always people who are there 
who like mum and dad are like, yep, they're staying there. Or mum is like, yep, I've got some people coming and stay there. We're always inviting people to stay there. Like, and, and it's kind of like, like a giant kind of hostel in some ways. Mum and dad aren't even there. They're up in Port Augusta because mum's teaching up there. But we've always had this heart as a family to open our doors. And mums and dad have always run a bit like what you and Jenny do, like always having things going on. And so growing up, I've had no sort of concern around visitors or other people staying. It's just how we do life. Mm. How has that repressed your faith, though? <laughs> Don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a bit of a lead-in comment. Uh, but okay, more more realistically, I, I feel like some of us in this room would go, "Man, as a teenage kid, though, you know, just trying to work out life, what, did you find that difficult at any times?" No, I, I, I just, I don't think so. I think it's somehow part of my DNA. Like, uh, a lot of the stuff I do now where I'm constantly out in the marketplace, I'm running lots of events and, like, expanding my tent, that's just kind of how I've always done it. And Josh and I do that as well. So we've both sort of passed that on. And I think that's, that's just how I feel God's called me to live my life. So I sort of have no, uh, no concern around putting an extra um, seat at the table or, as I say, an extra seat on the couch because that's just how I've been brought up. Yeah, it's so good. Thanks, Jess. Thanks. Lise, let's, let's jump to you. Okay. Um, what, what does it mean to head up the hospitality team? Hmm. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I suppose heading it up means I have to, I have to work with a lot of people um, and talk to them and find out what's actually going on in their lives to actually have any idea how I can run that thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like leading any team anyone that's leading anything, um, I think that's the main thing that you need to keep in mind. Um, following God's like direction um, is great and it's the way to go about it and you can't do it um, without him. And his focus has always been people and drawing them closer to him. So you can't do it without finding out as a person how they're going and yeah, where they, where, what they need, I suppose, in some ways too. Because that's your best asset leading that group is mm. the people. Mm. So how do you how do you recruit people for that and, and instill in them a passion for the kind of hospitality Jesus had? Okay. <laughs> do you want to go on the coffee car and just see if they say yes? <laughs> no. Um, mm. no, that's not yeah. that's, that's not true. That's not very <laughs> deep. Um, how do I recruit? I, I suppose I don't know how I recruit so much as. I talk to so many people. What, what, are, you, what are you looking for? What like, what, looking what are for? the sorts of things you're, you're hoping to, even if you don't see it in them right away, you're hoping to bring out of them in the hospitality team? See if they answer my question. Let's see if they talk to me. <laughs> I suppose hospitality is, 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 there's two sort of like avenues, I suppose. Some people are, I see, I see it as almost sometimes if you're a bit introverted, you love your jobs, you want to serve, you've got something to give, um, but you kind of um, like, just, just, just putting yourself back here with the jobs. And some people love it. I'm not that person. Um, but they just like hide it. They're like a little bit of hiding there because they know they're serving the Lord. They're giving their gifts in an area they can, but they don't have to be in front of people. They don't have to be showy and doing things and being seen doing that versus the others that aren't necessarily about showy but just love people like I do. Like you want to be in and amongst conversations all the time and that can be difficult for the others to deal with because you're not picking up chairs you're busy talking <laughs> um but yeah so there's there's definitely i've found leading in like hospitality is that there is spaces and places and for anyone to serve so i just feel like it's just a great yeah it is a good ministry that you, you know it's easy it's an easy entrance mm. to any serving i suppose so that's great yeah. that's great Beryl, can we jump to you? Um, not two months ago, you got mad at me for not kicking you out of your own home. Um, <laughs> so we had an elders retreat and last year we held it up at Beryl and Craig's place. And this year I thought, ah, oh, we'll do it at my parents' place. They've got a lovely place in Houghton. We'll, we'll use that space. And Beryl found out and she got really mad at me. She's like, kick us out of our house. We want to give you our house. Okay, so that's probably not quite that aggressively. Um, <laughs> What's behind that heart, Beryl? Because I, I don't think necessarily everybody feels that way. Don't they? <laughs> um, I, I have always, for some time, not, probably not always, but for quite some time, have had a really strong belief, and I've, I've spoken to a few of about this in passing at church, um, that where you live matters. And um, 
and I've probably spoke to um, Jim and um, Jade about this when they were searching for their house. I said, where you live matters. God cares where you live. And you really need to pray about that. It's really important. And I, I can only speak, I feel that that's what's happened in my life. God has really placed me always. Every house I've lived in, every community I've landed in has had his hand upon it. And I've found a job to do, a role, a, the person I need to be in that community wherever I've lived. Um, and so the house we owned at, at Hawthorne, which now is owned by Jared and Lisa and Ashley, um, God gave us that house and it was a real God thing. And it was across the road from the church community we belonged to. It became the hang place, probably like the Delima Ranch was. The Hunter House was the place that everybody hung around. And it, to me, that was part of my stewardship. My home is part of my stewardship. It belongs to God and so I, I give it back to him and I try to do that. It's not always convenient. Sometimes it's annoying to always have people in your house because um, I'm a bit of an introvert. I like my own space and Ash can relate to that. <laughs> She's probably all happy when you've all gone home from life group at the end of it. <laughs> and she can have some quiet time. Um, but your house matters. It, it's part of your stewardship. Give it to God. You know, pray about where you're going to live, how you can use your home to... Build the kingdom. Um, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so, I mean, I heard two things there. You said it matters where you live. But what I also heard was wherever you live, God will use you in ways that matter. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. And, and now you've got 40 acres of quiet space. Yeah. That you, you, so it's great. It's good. But I've got an awesome community. I'm part of an awesome community in that place too. Yes. It's amazing. Tim, let's jump down to you. Um, how... Let's, all right, I'm going to let you wax theological for a minute. Just flex your muscles. How, how does being a follower of Jesus affect the way you view hospitality? Uh, this has been a long journey for me uh, because I think my personality is high introvert, socially awkward, uh, need my own space, can be quite self-centred. Um, and marrying Ashley was one, obviously one of the best decisions I've ever made. <laughs> Um, because she's, she's a polar opposite to me in a lot of those things. She, she is uh, inherently selfish, selfless to a fault. <laughs> no Freudian slip there. Um, she's genuinely uh, very selfish. She, she considers other people's needs. You, dude, oh. you said it again. <laughs> genuinely very selfless. Yeah. Uh, it's good. Yeah. Uh, just give me a moment. <laughs> uh, so, so it's been a big journey and, and watching Ash and the way she uh, welcomes people and, and builds community has been a, a big deal uh, for me. Um, I think I had a, a couple of key realisations about uh, the nature of the gospel, because I can wax lyrically here, is that as you sort of touched on a bit earlier today, that God has welcomed us to his table. He has done everything for us to be in relationship with him. It's almost a bare minimum thing that I can do to welcome people to my table. Um, it doesn't take very much. Often, if you, know, if you just cook pasta, it doesn't cost very much either. Um, but, it, but it actually makes all the difference in the world. And if you watch Jesus and you watch the way he lives his life in the Gospels, he's, he's always eating and drinking with people. And, and it's in those spaces that God really moves and, and people respond to him quite well. You can you think about, as a key you can think about um, tax collectors and, and all the conversations they have over meals. It's, all, it's a sacred space at a table. And, and then we have communion as well. And that you know, God gave us a meal to remember him. Um, so for me, just realising that uh, what God has done for me is so great and so incredible. Um, hospitality, I have to get over my own in inherent uh, push, push back to this is my space, you know, I, I need to, to keep this safe for myself and my family when it's actually, it's actually a really special thing to be able to invite people into that. So, so as I've grown in that as well, um, it's become easier and easier and easier to the point where I was talking about uh, what I was going to talk about with Ash in the car and, and she said that since kids, it's actually flipped, is that she was the one who was really good at hospitality and now she's taken a step back from that and I've taken 
that I'm the one who organises people to come over for dinner and I'm the one who, um, you know, will have those conversations and connect with neighbours a bit more and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's press into the, the stewardship function that Beryl mentioned earlier. You guys, I think in your entire married life, have never lived with just your family by yourself. Is that right? Uh, the first two, two and a bit years, you, I think. Okay. Uh, we live by ourselves. Okay. Um, but you've mostly had other people living in your home with you. Yeah. So uh, most, actually mostly with kids. Yeah. Um, we've had, uh, we had a married couple live with us for 18 months. Um, and now we have a 23-year-old who lives with us. And I, I think I assumed you had housemates before that because people just camped out in your house in Gawla indefinitely. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we, our house was the Delima Ranch. Um, uh, and, and we learnt that from another couple. We learnt the power of opening up your home. Um, that, that a home was opened to us by a couple who were five years older than us and it became a safe place for our community to hang in. And people were actually were, found it a lot easier to be invited back into the house than into the church. And so they started in the church, uh, they started in the house and invited into the house and then slowly they started to come a bit earlier to church. Talk us through that. Why is that, do you think? Uh, I, I think, I think some, sometimes there can be barriers to people walking into a church, not knowing what it's going to be like, not knowing, um, you know, the, the customs, the culture, how to behave. It can be quite a barrier to overcome. But if you know someone and you go with them to someone else's house and they can be that buffer uh, and, and you welcome them and you eat with them and you, um, you, you spend time with them, you play board games and, and video games with them, then then you become a community. They become a part of the community and it's a lot easier for them to go, well, I want to hang out with you longer so I'm going to come early and come to church. That's great. Lisa, can we jump back to you for a sec? Um, how does just straight up being a follower of Jesus affect the way you do hospitality that flows out of you? In my own life or uh, at, at church? Both, both. You can pick. I, I figure you probably want to talk more about the church function. Yeah, I can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I suppose it, it, the message you said yesterday and even today and stuff, I think, yeah, you must have said that really early on at some point to me. And I, I just remember it sticking and, and going, and I just don't know why I can't. I get this knot in my stomach when I see someone on their phone in welcome time. I just get a weird knot, and I know no one else. I don't, others do maybe have it, but I just don't know why. And I think that's God constantly saying, You've got to go there now. You've got to go talk to them. And I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't walk over there planned with prepped. I half the time just make a joke of myself because that just gets them to laugh and like loosen that tiny bit. And I'm sure, I'm sure I've talked to a few of us here early on in your visits just because I saw you there and no, maybe no one else was there and you just walked in the door. And I get my knot and I've got to do something about it because... God would never leave you on your phone. Yeah. Like, Jesus would never leave you in that corner. So, I don't know. That's why I do it. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and I'm sure you've all seen her at work. I, 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 uh, because I've got the title of pastor, it's very easy for me to go up and meet people because they kind of expect it. It's hard for me to get people to open up because they're wary, <laughs> but it's easy to meet people. But Lisa doesn't have that, right? I get that she's a hospitality coordinator, but that's not what drives this. So... What are some other techniques you use to overcome fear in that? Because you must sometimes feel a bit nervous, awkward or scared going up to a new person. Uh, Going up to them, yeah, I do sometimes, but I think that's gotten less and less and less and less and less. So now I just... So building a habit. Building a habit, yeah, change that. And I think we've even talked this in the hospital, big team meeting stuff, just, just developing ways to welcome better, is that why do we always assume we have to do it on our own? Just because you might see me do it on my Come own. On. It's because I don't know who else to... Like, I'm like, everyone's busy on my team right now because the welcomers are all busy. They're actually doing jobs. The coffee guys are doing jobs. So I've got to grab someone. And so I'm sure you've all been grabbed by me at some point to go, hello, there's a new person. Um, and I, I drive it. I just need my support person sometimes too. Like I might be feeling a bit rubbish that day. Maybe I had a big week at work and I'm just like, I just need a friend to come with me to see if we can get this thing going. Um, but yeah, so like, but that's my way of pulling people in. So like I told my the team, when you see someone new, there's 
Oh, man, it was a while ago, but I wonder if I... No, I'm not going to quiz you guys. You'll break... You'll break I'll break you. Uh, no, okay, there was a few techniques and there was like a few tricks. So firstly was... I think there was about three things that you could do. One was grab a friend, go over there. Okay, don't do it on your own. If you're scared, you don't need to be on your own. Go over there um, and basically talk to them, ask them a question, anything. Hey, what brought you here? Just let them talk. Just let them talk. And you'd be surprised how long they can talk for. Like, it's very surprising how long people will talk about themselves for. I was just going to say, we are our own favourite topic. And that is a better way to do it until they stop. You just wait for something in they, what they said. They might have mentioned cheese. You go, I love cheese. Sorry, yeah, let's talk about cheese. I don't know. You can build from anything they say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything. And if you've got a person there backing you up, there's two of you there, just, just find something in there. And, just, and always just another question. And I know question building is challenging, much more so in German, but I try just in English first and then <laughs> let them go again, you know? I think that's My a great tactic, suck by the way. It. So, anyway. Start in English, so <laughs> that, that's, that's something that you can yeah. do. And, and then, and obviously, like, keep that going as long. And if you get really stuck, you know what you fall back on? Hey, have you got a coffee? Come with me to the car. That's your closer if you're struggling and you're like, I got nothing left. They got nothing left. We're stuck. All right, let's get a coffee. And, you know, and there's other people by the coffee cup. And then if you can, the most important part is make sure that you take them in or you find them again in the service and just sit with them. Find somewhere to sit with them because no one wants to be on their own. You don't want it to be that superficial thing of like, I've talked to them. Good. It's like, let someone sit with them. Find someone that might be in their bracket, someone who seemed a bit similar to them. It doesn't have to actually be you, but just maybe introduce them to someone similar. And then they'll hit it off and they'll keep going and they'll talk about everything. It'll be great. Yeah, 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 yeah. That sometimes doesn't happen and I just stay with them the whole time, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I think of I think of how often we tried that when, when Harry started coming and we were like, Jim's a chippy. Guys, hey, <laughs> these two like will be best friends. <laughs> Harry's just politely <laughs> like, yes, I have met Jim. Yes, thank you. That's great. <laughs> Fantastic. So nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> but but it does yeah. work and, and the fact that people keep saying that means that people are thinking about that. So that's great. And there's new techniques for what you do once you're in the service. It's called peeing inside, but we'll go about that another time. There's five P's of what you should do when you're in the service with them, and you won't forget it. Do you want to run them through real quick? Yes, okay. So, all right, number one. Place yourself with them. Um, So, place. Place yourself next to them so that you're actually with them, so there's someone alongside them. Um, Praise God with them. So, worship how you would worship. Praise. Be yourself. Be authentic. Because they don't. They might not know what this is. It might. You might weird them out in the way you worship. But who cares? It's you. It's your thing. Um, pray with them potentially. I'm looking at Cara. I don't know if she was paying attention that day. <laughs> and I think it was just four. Um, and if they need it, they might need to meet the pastor. So, pastor them off is not part of great, great phrasing. I don't mean hand them over. I take. I mean take them to the pastor. So there was four P's for peeing inside with a new person. That's okay. <laughs> Which matches the emotional response reaction for a lot of you when you meet a new person anyway. So that's, there it is. There it is. Thanks, Lise. Moving quickly along. Uh, Jeremy. What, what's, what's the story of... No, no, let's go theological for a second. Why is hospitality important for a follower of Jesus to you? Yeah, I think it's uh, so important as a follower of Jesus because it's the way that Jesus lived his life, right? So uh, Beck and me were having uh, coffee in Rundle Mall uh, last weekend and uh, there was a church group there that was uh, uh, in what they thought was a a good way to communicate the gospel. And uh, then there was some... uh, some flyers being handed out and we watched and we sat and we watched it for about 10, 15 minutes and no one took any cards that they were handing out, right? And I said, I said to Beck, I'm like, why, what, what are they, like, why are they doing this kind of thing? Uh, because it's not effective. I don't think it's effective at all, actually, because no one's listening, no one's interested. The way Jesus lived his life is that he was meeting the people's needs. So the way that Jesus lived is that he constantly was engaging in miracles and feeding people and all that stuff. And I think when we look at how Jesus modelled his his life in ministry is that we always have to uh, be in positions to help people meet, like meeting their needs. So it might be that we are 
opening our house up or it might be that we are sitting with people or it might be that we're giving them food. I think a better way um, for what we witnessed in Rundle Mall was be like if we just set something up, you know, let's say it is a coffee cart, like whatever, whatever it is, people will be like, oh, why are you doing this? This doesn't make sense, right? So we have to be living out in ways that is actually meeting the needs of the people. So as, as I know that Jesus was constantly healing people, that was meeting a need of the people. And so, yeah, that's, that's what I interpret how we should be living effective hospitality. That's, that's so good. And, I mean, with that, the story of Zacchaeus keeps coming to mind, right? This little tax collector climbs up a tree to see Jesus. Jesus is kind of going down the main street, hundreds, thousands of people. He spots Zacchaeus, identifies him, calls him by his name, brings him down, and then he doesn't invite him over for dinner. He says... I'm coming over for dinner. Get some food ready. (laughs) I need to eat at your house tonight. Now, here's why that's important. Because it's not about going, I'm going to get everything right in my home and then someone's going to come over. Sometimes they just turn up at your doorstep. And that's all right. Let them come in and tell them to do your dishes. Because you're then receiving hospitality as well as as offering it. If it's a one-way street, it becomes a total obligation. I just think that's really, really important. And what happens is Zacchaeus gives away half his possessions and becomes a follower of Jesus. Um, Tim, can you give us a story of hospitality in your life? Yeah, so uh, um, in our last place that we lived in, in Mawson Lakes, um, we had a neighbour that we were sort of engaging with. Uh, We would have chats at the bins because that's about the only place uh, where you cross paths with your neighbours. At least that's what in Mawson Lakes uh, it feels like. Um, and one time I was actually um, about to meet with Mike, um, but I forgot my keys, so I was at my house before coffee with Mike, uh, and I couldn't get into the house. And so he he was out there. He was he's one of those guys who every weekend he'll like repave his his driveway or you know relay turf or something like that. Like he's always got a project um, going, and he was out there, and and so he invited me in for a cup of tea. And I've been trying to connect with this guy. I've been trying to invite this guy over for, and his family. We've been, both of us have been trying for a, for a long time to get them to come into our house. But he actually invited me into his house. And we had the best conversation that, uh, that we had that whole time that we lived there. Uh, and st- we're still connected with them. They came to our housewarming. And, and they, they thought that they, they said to us, they're such great neighbors, that we, they thought we were such great neighbors. They actually bought the house next to us for their kid to live into. So we still see him around because he comes up with his... He's got a BMW now, but he had a really nice Audi. And he comes up with his, <laughs> comes up with his BMW and parks there and, and we'll, have, we'll have a chat and we text. And, and I think for me, uh, sometimes I feel like being a Christian, I'm the one who's supposed to, to invite and I'm the one who's supposed to sacrifice and I'm the one who's supposed to be hospitable towards people. But actually a genuine friendship and genuine relationship goes both ways. And if we're too, you know, if we, I can't accept your hospitality because I'm the one who's supposed to be hospitable, we'll miss so many opportunities to say yes to other people's hospitality towards us. Um, That was a big lesson for me, was always say yes to those things. That's awesome. Beryl, what about yourself? What's what's an expression of hospitality, a Um, story in your life? I... I wandered away from God and the church as a young adult and spent about 10 years on my own, having to go out there in the world, having grown up in a Christian home. So I had that background. And I, looking back, I know I wasn't far from God because he didn't let me go very far. Um, But I had wandered off. I was not paying attention to him. And then something happened, which is another story for another day. Um, And one Sunday morning, I found myself needing to go to church and I had a little Jared and a little Ashley and Craig, who was suddenly very confused about why I had this sudden urge on a Sunday morning to go to church after not having done it for 10 years. Um, and I rocked up at a church, also interesting story, but I rocked up at um, Westbourne Park Uniting Church and it was really hard after 10 years away to walk, even walk in the doors of a church. I'm getting teary now thinking about it. It's a really big thing for people to walk into a church. And I know we don't have a church building, we have a school building, so it's slightly less intimidating than a 1900 church with stained glass, etc. But it's really hard for people to walk into church. So I walked in with a young family and at the end of the service, the kids had gone out to Sunday school, we'd kind of worked that out. Um, 
a lady in the church who was a bit older than me, whose name was Pam, um, spotted us and said, oh, hello, um, welcome, come out to morning tea. That was all she said, Lisa. And she took us out to morning tea and made sure we had a cup of tea, introduced us to some other people who had children, etc. One of them said to me, oh, do you like to sing? Yeah, I love to sing. And she said, oh, you should join our choir. So a couple of things in that. Pam's now gone to be with Jesus because she died too young from breast cancer. But if Pam hadn't said to me that morning, hello, welcome, come to morning tea, and taken me out and introduced me to somebody else, I wouldn't be here. Jared wouldn't be here. Ashley wouldn't be here. Lisa wouldn't be here. Just wouldn't even be happening. She has had a huge impact on my life. And like I said, she's gone to God now, but it's just awesome to remember Pam. The second thing was that somebody asked me to come back. You know that, do you like to sing, was all the question was. Sure, I said, come join our choir. You know, so the, the second reason to come back to church was just there, so easy. And then I had a reason to come back yeah. the next time. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Does anybody have any last thoughts or, or stories or comments on hospitality? All I would say is that uh, hospitality, you don't become a hospitable person or someone who practices hospitality overnight. It's something you need to work on. It's something you need to develop the habit of. Um, creating a, a space for that in your life, um, whether, whatever stage of life you're in, if you can find a space and a time where you can invite people into your home or invite people to eat with you at lunch or invite, you know, have some kind of rhythm and... and uh, and something that you can keep consistently, over time it will become more and more easy and you become more and more like a person who is hospitable. Yeah, yeah can I add to that? I've got a girlfriend who I think is the epitome of hospitality. Her name is Jenny March, if any of you know her in extended church life. I watch her like a hawk. I model my hospitality on her. And so if you see somebody doing stuff that you know is good for the kingdom, watch them. And get all their little tips and practice them. I, and, I, and I'm watching everyone yeah. watching Beryl. Because yeah. there's always somebody else to watch. And they're always just doing it better than you. And they're doing it for God. So they, they're looking up at him like we all are. But they're just doing it that little bit better. So watch the skills. Pick up the tips. Practice, practice, practice like you said. That's sensational. That's sensational. Hey, can we just thank the team for, for their, their gifting us with this today? And, and I think, Josh, you guys can, can come up. And, and while the team's starting to set up, um, just want to finish off. I, I, you know, I shared yesterday half of a story about um, this idea that the movement in the kingdom of God is from strangers to neighbours and neighbours to family. Strangers to neighbours. Neighbours to the family of God. And so a lot of what you've heard here is about how do, how do we turn strangers into neighbours and a little bit in how we turn neighbours into family. That was more yesterday. So for me, we had these neighbours, as I said, Nat and Johnny, again, not their real names. Um, and we, we lived next to them for five years or so. Hello, here we go. They, they were really generally a pain, but not always. And so there'd be all those thousands of little bin interactions like Tim talked about where we just see them in passing and so we'd connect. And when we saw them in passing, we'd connect a bit deeper. And so every now and then Johnny would come around and he'd, he'd help me out in the garden or something like that. Or we'd see Nat and she'd be in a good place and she'd come over and she'd have a cup of tea with Jen and they'd talk about being parents, that shared thing they have together. And... Sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's good, but you build up a relationship over time and suddenly the strangers and neighbours, even if they're neighbours who frequently are screaming and drunk in the middle of the night and calling the cops down on us because other neighbours are calling the cops. So in the middle of the night one time, this is what happened. Um, the the, the neighbours were screaming, Nat specifically was screaming and there was a second voice and we just assumed she was having a row with Johnny and we were doing that thing that, Every middle class person does in a situation where we look at each other and go, do we want to deal with it or do we want to leave the door shut and leave the problem outside our doors? And eventually we're like, oh, I think we should deal with it. So I started getting dressed and the pitch changes. 
It's not yelling anymore. It's screaming. And, and, it, and it's not anger. It's fear. It's like, okay. So I rush around there. Nothing more but trackies, hoodies and an iPhone. And Nat, Nat has an estranged son who's sort of been in and out of the picture. Uh, he, he's been addicted to crystal meth when he's, like most people, when he, he's not on it. He's a pretty nice kid. When he's on it, anything goes. And as I walk around there, Nat, this woman who has caused me basically nothing but grief, the closest thing I have to an enemy in my life. She, she screams drunkenly all the time. She screams obscenities when our kids are around. We're just trying to get by. But here is suddenly Nat on the ground cowering and above her is her son with a knife. And and I just, I was, I was just there. Suddenly I was there in, in, in between them, in, in front of Nat, holding my hand up, yelling at this kid to get away. And it's, it's, I don't. It wasn't meant to be an act of heroism. It was just a. You, you just. You just. What do you do? I was. I was just there, there in the middle of them. And suddenly, in the blink of an eye, I'd become the protector of my enemy. And it did enough to freak him out and scare him off and threaten to call the. Well, we did call the cops, and he ran off. And that's just a sobbing mess on the ground. I, it doesn't matter anymore whether she's drunk or not. And I get her inside, and we boil the kettle. And we have a cup of tea while we wait for the police to come. And my enemy, who was a stranger, who has become my neighbour, we are now sharing a cup of tea. And over such things, friendships are formed. Because Jesus died for us when we were enemies to him. That is, aggressively, intentionally persecuting him through our sin, through our words, through our behaviours, through our thoughts, through the way we treat our neighbours, all of the above. And he behaved like a brother to us, laying down his life on his behalf, which is why again and again in John's Gospel and letters you hear, this is how we know what love looks like when we lay down our life on behalf of somebody else and at the heart of being a good neighbour, at the heart of koinonia and turning strangers into neighbours is how can I lay down my life in this moment on behalf of somebody else? Now, in, in 15 years of marriage, I've only had one knife standing in between people incident, okay? So this is not, this is just the one I get to draw on. But you only get that incident by being present in the first place. And that's what I think God's calling us to. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.